Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This is the Joe and Amber podcast. Yes, it is. Joe and Amber, ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. And tell your smart speakers to play ESPN Radio. You can get us wherever you listen to these shows right here on the ESPN app. Courtney Cronin, Mike Wells, sitting in for Joe and Amber on this Wednesday evening. The NHL world has transcended upon Nashville. Round one of the draft happening right now. We are moments away, Mike, from Connor Bedard, the presumptive number one overall pick, finding his way to my Chicago Blackhawks, the Canadian (laughs) phenom, junior ice hockey center and captain of the Regina Pats, part of the Western Hockey League. You've heard all about him in moments we're going to hear a lot more about what he can do for this organization. As always, Joe and Amber is presented by Progressive Insurance. You can tweet to us tonight at Courtney R. Cronin is my handle at Mike Wells NFL. You can also hit us up on the phones, 888-SAY-ESPN, 888-729-3776. So, Mike, before we get into the hype, before we talk about the label that has been lofted onto Connor Bedard, Probably since he started playing hockey, let's hear from Connor Bedard. He was with ESPN's Emily Kaplan on the red carpet, his anticipation leading into tonight's draft. We've been talking about this day for so long, and I've been dreaming about this day for so long, but what have the hours been leading up been like for you? Yeah, I mean, it doesn't feel real right now. I think there's a lot of anticipation and uh, excitement with you know all, all the prospects here, so um, we're just excited to uh, kind of get things started. One of the coolest moments he will ever experience, the 17-year-old phenom surrounded by family and friends. And I know there's always hype every year. There's always great players, no matter what the sport is, Mike, that we end up talking about and putting labels on them such as game changer, phenom, generational talent. Yet the latter is one that Connor Bedard has been hearing not just this year, but throughout his entire hockey career. No, it, it is. And you, you think about it, 17 years old, knowing you were about to become the face of a franchise, a franchise that you're very familiar with, Courtney, up there in Chicago. And just think that you know, the pressure that is going to be on his shoulders. But just listening to his interview with, with Emily Kaplan, it's like he's used to it. I mean, everywhere he's been, no matter what level in the hockey ranks, He's uh, played at from, you know, Pee Wee all the way up through um, where he's at now. He's been that guy. So I think he sounds like a person who's going to embrace it, take it on his shoulders. And something tells me if he really lives up to the hype, you may be spending some time down at the United Center uh, wearing Blackhawks T-shirts and checking them out quite quite a bit for years to come. When the Hawks won the lottery back in May, I was actually at a Cubs game that night, and they broke the news on the scoreboard out in center field that the Hawks had won the lottery, which we all knew meant Connor Bedard was going to be making his way to Chicago. There was no ifs, ands, or buts about it, similar to how we felt when we found out the San Antonio Spurs had the number one overall pick, that they had tanked for this moment all season long, and that Victor Wembanyama was going to be making his way down to San Antonio which he did last week. 
we're living in an era right now, and I don't know if this is the same every year. I've tried to rack my brain about this, but right now, the idea that all of these generational talents are in Major League Baseball with Ellie De La Cruz of the Cincinnati Reds. He is somebody who has had that label lofted towards him. In the NBA, the the, the absurd comparisons Victor Wembanyama has received. Yes, I know he's seven foot five, but people saying if this is a this is a player, if LeBron, Giannis, Anthony Davis, Rudy Gobert, if you take all the best parts of their game and put them into one guy, that's him. Connor. Connor Bedard has the same sort of lofty, lofty things that have been thrown at him too, and it makes me wonder of this era of the generational talent. Are there, are there, are we really separating? Is there really a line of delineation between really, really good athletes and those who could be the potential franchise changer? And how do you honestly know who is deserving of that label? Well, that's the thing. You, you never, you never know. Um, obviously, we don't know how it's going to pan out. We don't know who deserves the label. I classify it as we've seen so many athletes, you know, LeBron James back in 2003, you know, Peyton Manning, Andrew Luck. We've seen the list and list has grown. I look at it as not somebody who's been in college for three or four years. I look at it as somebody who is coming in, who is, you know, 18, 19 years old and just has all the tools the leader franchise who has the maturity that can step in because obviously if you go to college for a number of years, you, you've matured, you've grown up and nobody's labeling you that. I know it happens because in college football, you have to stay a few years before you can go to the NFL, but you look at baseball, you look at hockey, um, you look at the NBA prior to having to go to you know school for a year or two uh, or, or not be able to come out right when you're fresh out of high school. You see that label thrown around more for those sports because those are the eight, 17, 18, 19-year-old athletes who are the ones getting that label over the more, the more mature ones who have been in the college game or even been overseas. Shohan Atani, who was over playing over, um, over in the Far East prior to coming to the Angels, you just see it more out of the younger players with that label being thrown around now than, than it is from the mature, uh, older athletes. Yeah, the jump from amateur to pro and how quickly you can make it, I think is the clear, um, you know, a clear way to look at this because Connor Bedard is 17 years old. Victor Wembanyama is 19. Ellie De La Cruz, someone that I also mentioned, is 21 years old. And it's a little different in baseball because by the time you're drafted, you usually have to go through a couple rounds of minor leagues to be able to get into the majors. And we've already seen him hit for the cycle in his 15th Major League Baseball game. But as we've gone through the list of these people, Mike and I have thought of a couple. Of course, Connor McDavid, the last generational talent in the NHL. He was drafted by the Edmonton Oilers a couple years ago, and he has lived up to that hype. Bryce Harper has gotten that label. LeBron got that label years ago when he was going from high school to the Cleveland Cavaliers. Trevor Lawrence and Andrew Luck, we know that those names in the NFL have absolutely been categorized as generational talents. And then in the women's game, Sabrina Ionescu, we, we know the ties to Kobe Bryant, all the comparisons there about their games and what she could bring to the women's game and truly transcend it. I just want to know from you guys, though, 888-SAY-ESPN, 888-SAY-ESPN, 888-729-3776. What separates a generational talent from a really, really, really good athlete? 
And who has lived up to that hype? Are there names that we're not thinking about? Are there other generational athletes that haven't lived up to that hype? We're going to take your calls coming up on that next, right here on Joe and Amber, ESPN Radio in the ESPN app. Joe and Amber, the podcast. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code FIRSTTAKE and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more, more than, than ever. ever. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to gamble responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. This U.S. promotional offer not available in D.C., Mississippi, North Carolina, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369 for New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. For Massachusetts, 1-800-327-5050. For Iowa, 1-800-BETS-OFF. For Puerto Rico, 1-800-981-0023. For West Virginia, Visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. First bet offer for new customers only. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. In partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Now, let's talk about the play of the week. The pressure to follow up Hypnotic and Cognac, weighing heavy on the team. Hypnotic was in the cup, blue and ready for the play. And boom! Añejo Tequila came in with a smooth assist to Hypnotic's tropical fruit finish. Shaken, strained, poured... It was green and good! The playmaking splash shifted the tempo. Another great cocktail from the Hypnotic team. Every season is Hypnotic and Tequila season. Hypnotic Liqueur, Bardstown, Kentucky, 17% alcohol by volume. Hypnotic reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Connor Bedard is moments away from making a whole lot of people in Chicago very Very happy to be Blackhawks fans. The NHL draft taking place in Nashville just moments from the commissioner, Gary Bettman, calling up Connor Bedard onto the stage to meet with the Chicago Blackhawks. This is Joe and Amber on ESPN Radio in the ESPN app. Courtney Cronin and Mike Wells sitting in for Joe and Amber, which is presented by Progressive Insurance. Progressive Insurance offers 24-7 protection when you bundle home, auto, and motorcycle. You can learn more at Progressive.com. 888-SAY-ESPN, 888-729-3776. The phones are open. Connor Bedard, the star of stars in the NHL. He hasn't even played a minute of professional hockey just yet, but he's been getting that generational talent lofted onto him for years. He's not the only one who has, but certainly in the NHL ranks, he is center stage because of what is about to happen. So Mike and I want to ask you, the generational talent label that has been lofted on a lot of different players in you know men's and women's professional sports who has lived up to the hype who has not start out here with d in memphis d you're on joe and amber what you got hello how are you doing guys for a long time this is my first time caller how are y'all doing we are doing great thanks for calling good good all right i'm gonna show my age here but i got I just jotted down a few names and then i'll hang up and listen um 
having, you know, your, your father play, um, speaking of Ken Griffey Jr., he's someone that lived up to that hype. Sebastian Telfair, I say he did not live up to that hype. Um, a generational talent like Leonard Fournette, Leonard Fournette, I'm sorry, I say he lived up to the hype. But some new, newer names that I'm interested in, Quinn Ewers, how is he going to uh, live up to the hype? Um, also, Arch Manning. And the biggest one on my list right now, little Charlie Wood. How can you have more pressure than your dad being Tiger? So I will also hang up and listen, but I just wanted to get some of those names out there. Hey, D, we appreciate the call. Thanks so much. And, you know, I think there is a little bit of a separation between famous, you know, athletes with famous parents who have played. That's, like sec- that's second ge- second generational yeah. talent. That's what. That's how I look at like a guy like Charlie Woods. You know, obviously, or you know, um, you know, Arch Arch Manning. You know, that's you know part of the Peyton Manning of you know family tree in that situation. I will say, I can. Compl- I don't know about you, Courtney, but I forgot about King Griffey Jr. That, so, that sure, I mean, I'm going to date, date myself here, as, you know, on the other side of the spectrum. When he was coming up through the ranks, was he considered a generational talent? Was that being lofted onto him because his father was Ken Griffey Sr.? No, he, he was. He was just talent. He was the real deal. It okay. wasn't just the family name uh, that, that that he had in there. That, you know, his Ken Griffey uh, Sr. was out there. He had the talent, and again. You know, from his smooth left-handed swing to his ability to climb the wall uh, and, and rob people of home runs, he had all the tools to get it done. But man, I, I'm glad he mentioned that because I, mm-hmm. I completely left him off my list. I like that one. Yeah, that's a good one, and I think it speaks to another reason why we have this label generational talent because that's you defined it as the person who's able to make the jump from amateurs to the pros the quickest the people like Victor Wembanyama who were looking at not only the seven foot five frame but the skill set that goes along with it I remember when we had Brian Windhorst on best week ever which is the show that I host seven to ten a.m. eastern time on ESPN radio on Sundays this was right after he got back from France remember the draft or excuse me the, the draft lottery back in May Wendy was out there with Victor Wembanyama the night he knew he was going to go to San Antonio. And so he came on with us and he said, like, I don't want you guys to think this is hyperbole, but he can guard the perimeter and guard the paint at the same time. You don't hear something like that lofted onto just anyone. That is the generational talent aspect when it's a Victor Wembanyama or someone like Connor Bedard, who at 17 years old, the accomplishments he's already had. He broke the record for the most points by a Canadian in a single world juniors tournament. He's the first 17-year-old CHL player to score 70 goals in a season over the last 25 years. All of those things are high at a high, playing at a higher level than everybody else that is about to get drafted. So I can understand that. And then, of course... The family ties, the lineage often plays into why somebody can be really, really good, but also take that step into being a generational talent. Mordecai in Raleigh, tell me in your opinion, what makes a generational talent? Yes. Hi. uh, Good evening. I may be um, approaching this uh, question in a slightly different manner, Uh, not necessarily identifying specific individuals, but what I'm seeing now, with these young guys, you know, coming into the various leagues is they're so fast. There's, they just have so much speed, and they're incorporating their their high skill level with the speed that they have, that they bring to their games. I think that's very important, and that's what's separating a lot of them 
from their peers. Okay. I appreciate that. Mordecai, thanks so much for that definition of it. And he's right. Every year, does it not feel like we're talking about a group of athletes in any respective sport going into a professional league that's bigger, stronger, and faster than the group before? I mean, that's the case. And I think the ability to train and get your body right, it is, you know, the science of it all is it improves every single year. That's why you see it. I mean, I, I think about that picture I saw on Twitter with uh, with Victor, and when he, you saw Tim Duncan and David Robinson, you know, the twin towers with the Spurs, looking up to the seven foot five. You know, I don't, I'm not even saying seven foot five center, seven foot five wing. It just tells you, and then when, you know, when Wendy making those comments on what he's able to do from the perimeter and put the ball on the put the ball on the ground and drive to the basket, it just says that the athletes that are becoming professionals today are so much better and more trained than what we endured not not just 10 years ago you know the last couple of years it gets better every single year and that's that's why I'm I'm ex- I'm excited to see you know I'm looking at Connor Bedard le- leading the CHL in point assists and goals as a 17 year old I mean that that's like unheard of and it, it, it's you know when he gets to the level of course there'll be you know a period of having to adjust to the NHL game but the, the kid's future is incredible and yes I'm going to say kid because mm-hmm. I mean he's not he's not even 18 years he's old he's not yet. even legal in the United <laughs> States yet he's not a legal adult he is still technically a minor and if he's setting the bar there at 17 years old I can only imagine what that's going to look like once he gets into a professional organization. Along with Mike Wells, I'm Courtney Cronin. We're filling in for Joe and Amber on ESPN Radio, as always, presented by Progressive Insurance. Who has lived up to the hype of the generational talent label? Who has not? Let's go out to Scott in Baltimore. Scott, you're on ESPN Radio. Hey, good evening. How are you? We are doing great. What you got? Great. I appreciate you taking my call and giving me a chance to voice my opinion unfortunately as much as it pains me to say i'm going to take the generational flop and perhaps certainly the biggest flop in generational flop and maybe in in nba history but maybe all professional sports history has got to be zion williamson i mean he has just not even barely lived up to anything and i understand a lot may be injuries but a lot of also is, you know, the fact that he, he, he seemingly is super glued to the refrigerator and he just can't live up to anything when you're only playing 16 games a year. That is a huge generational flop. The height of this young man and the talent that he showed, he was going to revolutionize the game. He has done. He was certainly supposed nothing. to do that. You're right, and we appreciate the call. Like he has the size of a big man, he has the point guard skills, he can dominate against any opponent. But we see that on such a rare basis, Mike, that it's hard to say he has lived up to that talent or lived up to that title. I I heard what Kevin Garnett said the other day. You know, we were patient with Joel Embiid. We need to be patient uh, with Zion Williamson at where he's at in his career. But he's the before LeBron James or after LeBron James. The gap between LeBron and Zion. I can't think of anybody else who had that generational. This guy is going to revolutionize the way basketball is played. Level for that player coming in from you know either college or you know in LeBron's case high school into the pros. And Zion has fallen way short of expectations. Hey, you're right on that. And I got another one to think that we can think about and maybe double back on. 
I'm putting Ben Simmons in that category too. Did, see, did he have that label on him? I can't. I can't think far, that far back because he didn't really do anything in college. It wasn't like those LSU was, teams one, were great, but it was, was more like the skill done. set himself. Yes, he was supposed to be the next Magic Johnson, a tall point guard, and clearly we were seeing Ben Simmons in street clothes on the bench nonstop. So. Yeah, same with Zion Williamson. We didn't even get to see him debut until midway through that 2019-2020 season because he was dealing with injury. So he got off to a rough start. Still had that label that he was trying to live up to, and within the last four years has not been able to do just that. Straight ahead, what is the best landing spot for Dalvin Cook? Some new names have entered the chat. We'll tell you next. Joe and Amber, ESPN Radio. Joe and Amber, the podcast. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to jetspizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Courtney Cronin, Mike Wells, filling in for Joe and Amber on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. We are moments away from one of my favorite segments. I've never actually done it yet, but we have variations of this throughout ESPN Radio. We're going to hit some of the biggest storylines in sports. Mike and I are going to tell you if we agree or if the person who said such comment is off the rocker. It's time for Sound Offs. Sound On. They said it. But what do they really mean? What are you trying to say to us? Sound on, sound off with Joe and Amber. So it's actually called sound on, sound off. I'm going to go ahead and give myself a mulligan on that because it is my first time hosting the show since it has moved to Joe and Amber. But let's welcome in producer James Steele to go through some of these storylines. Yes, this is a very original uh, feature segment that we do. No one else does anything like it. It's one of my favorites. It literally nobody, translates from show to show to show. Nobody has ever done this before This segment's radio. a generational talent. Did yeah, you know that? For sure it is. All right. The Vikings released Dalvin Cook earlier this month, making the all-pro running back a free agent and able to sign wherever he would like. And since then, we've been speculating on where he could ultimately end up. This morning on Keyshawn J. Will and Max, Keyshawn Johnson told everyone why the Jets make a lot of sense for Cook. That makes more sense than anything. And the reason that is, is you always got to have two running backs. Strong running games have two. Yes. You, this is not Tennessee where you got one bell cow rushing for 1,800 yards. You got to have two. You don't know what Brees Hall is. The learning curve, the learning offense, principles in Minnesota are very similar. West Coast style, they got the kind of the same sort of verbiage as Hackett. Makes all the sense in the world. All right, Courtney. Are the Jets the best fit for Cook? And if not, who is? 
I still think it's Miami, but I understand why the Jets have entered the conversation along with the Denver Broncos and a few other teams. Cook apparently received an offer that's not to his liking yet because he hasn't signed with the Miami Dolphins, but there is something on the table. Now there's some other teams trying to get into the mix. The Jets don't know the timeline about when Brees Hall is going to be back yet. He was on his way to an offensive rookie of the year season before he tore his ACL in week seven. And we don't know if that's going to be a week one return or if it's going to be further on into the season. So from Key's perspective, it does make sense. I guess I'll say sound on to that because I agree with it. And I look at this offense with Aaron Rodgers at quarterback, with new receivers, along with Garrett Wilson, for Aaron Rodgers to to throw the ball to. You want to make him successful in his first year with the Jets. The way they did that the last couple years in Green Bay is by having a running game that can take some pressure off of Aaron Rodgers, and they did that with a dual backfield, Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon. So I would anticipate that the Jets are going to continue to push this. I still think he ends up in Miami, though, Mike. You know, I, I got to tell you, Courtney, I, I've been, I had been driving that Miami Dolphins bus. I was saying, oh, that would be great for Tua, help him out, uh, ease the load some, especially, you know, uh, force defenses to be off, uh, honest, which will open things up for Tyreek Hill down the field even more. But I'm going with Keyshawn on this. The fact that there's no set timetable on when Brees Hall will come back from that from his injury, I think Dalvin Cook will be a perfect Perfect running back to go with Aaron Rodgers in that passing game. And once Hall does return, you got a two-headed monster where you're able to, you know, go with either one of those guys in the backfield. So I am going to say that I am uh, heading up I-95 from Miami and going into uh, the Meadowlands and saying that the Jets are a better fit than the Dolphins now. Uh, Courtney, fitting in quite well here on Joe and Amber because – Amber always talks about the Dolphins. So, of course uh, she does because <laughs> right. she is from Miami and she loves her teams. All right. I thought I was getting away from it for a couple of days. but Well, I thought I was getting away from the Chiefs bias, but what? you're here. So. I, Ooh, listen, get her. Get him, Court. Get him. I didn't bring up the Chiefs at all in this show. So I don't oh, know you will at some point. Well, yeah, you oh, will later in the show. Top five fan bases tonight. No. You will. Well, no, I, didn't, I didn't do anything. I don't know why we're doing <laughs> this right now. All right. Last season, Patriots finished 8-9, and nine, missed the postseason for the second time in three seasons. As a result, New England made a bunch of changes, among them bringing back Bill O'Brien to run the offense. It may mean they're going to get DeAndre Hopkins. I guess that's yet to be seen. Either way, Patriots owner Robert Kraft has high expectations for his team this year. I'm really excited for this upcoming season and training camp. I think we've had a great offseason, and I like our draft. And, you know, we're probably playing in the toughest division in football. But I love our team. And one thing I know about you, you won't be satisfied if one thing doesn't happen, right? What's the only thing that makes it uh, all worthwhile? Number seven. All right, he's looking for number seven. Mike, what are your expectations for the Patriots this season? Uh, my, my, my expectations are who in the world is Mac Jones going to throw the football to? I mean, you're, you're, you still, you're trying to get DeAndre Hopkins to come on board. Name a wide receiver not named Randy Moss that the Patriots have signed in free agency who has come in and has success. I can't name any wide receiver who's been able to do that. And there's question marks about Mac Mac Jones on if he's even the franchise quarterback for the New England Patriots. Bill O'Brien is going to have to come in and work his magic and get Mac Jones back on track. And Kraft made an excellent point. They're playing in the best division in the NFL next season. The AFC East is loaded from top to bottom, 
and the Patriots may finish last in the division. So Kraft, Kraft may have high expectations like every owner in the NFL does, but he might want to lower them a little bit because there's too many question marks on what they don't have on offense right now in New England. Caesars currently has the Patriots with the lowest odds in the division to win the AFC East, plus 800. So they've got to do something to improve their odds. Maybe it is DeAndre Hopkins. That's the last we've heard of the free agent receiver, his last visit there. Maybe they're slow playing things for a reason. But they did at least try to improve what's around Mac Jones this season. Bill O'Brien's going to help him get past, you know, the 3,000 mark, 3,000 yard passing threshold. That shouldn't be difficult because he's going to call an offense that is you'd like to think a competent one, not a game plan that uh, Matt Patricia had for the young quarterback. Also on top of that, you have a couple receiver additions. Kendrick Bourne was brought in, Devontae Parker, Juju Smith-Schuster this offseason as well. I, I like their backfield, but again, this is a team that's going to be climbing a steep hill this year when you're in the same division as a Miami team that has reloaded and it's got a healthy quarterback into a Buffalo is still at the top of the division until they're not. And then, of course, the big wild card here is the Jets. Are they going to pan out the way that we expect them to after what they gave up to get Aaron Rodgers? Or is it going to be more of the same? So, no, I, I don't agree. Uh, sound off for me on that one, on Robert Kraft. All right, since being taken by the Cowboys, number 12 overall in the 2021 NFL Draft, Micah Parsons has racked up 26 and a half sacks, a Defensive Rookie of the Year award, and two first-team All-Pro selections. There are a lot of people who consider him the best defensive player in the league, including uh, Parsons himself, very humbly, who welcomes that compliment. That's cool. Carl, you want him to come. If you go to a safari, you see buses, they all pull up a wise. They don't flesh. Why? Because... They're kings, you know? I'm not all flesh. Please come. Come visit. We're more than welcome. What the hell was that? I don't know. <laughs> huh? Courtney, is, I, pa- is Parsons the best defensive player in the league? And if not, who is? I still don't understand this Lions analogy about being on a safari and they don't flinch. And I don't know. If, I mean, if that's him saying that he is the best defensive player in the league, okay, I guess I'll buy it. Because he, he makes an impact in ways that leads you to believe he kind of plays like positionless football up front and this year he's not setting a sack goal for himself because you know in previous years he hasn't been able to reach it but that doesn't tell you the full impact on what he has with pressures quarterback hits hurries being able to you know put quarterbacks in really tough positions when he's rushing the passer and even when he's in coverage so I would say if he's not, like, the best, he's at least, like, top three because, of course, you still have Aaron Donald in the mix, too, and he's going to want to have a word about these Lions or whatever Micah Parsons is seeing on this imaginary safari. Well, Aaron Donald's like you and I right now, Courtney. He's like, what in the hell is Micah Parsons talking about? Um, I don't care what he just said. I'm, I, I'll probably spend the next hour and 20 minutes trying to figure it out. But I, what I will say is I do believe he's the best defensive player in the league. A guy with 26 and a half sacks through his first two seasons, has four six fumbles. He is going to have an impact one way or another. And even when he's not getting sacks, he's putting pressure on the quarterback, and he's also making it easier for the other 10 def- defensive players on the Dallas Cowboys unit. So um, no matter – as long as he's on the football field, his presence will be felt. And I believe while Aaron Donald is still one of the premier defensive players in the year, uh, excuse me, one of the premier defensive players in the league, Mike, Micah Parson 
is taking over that title now. All right, one more real quick. The Mets are bad, and I think that's an understatement. They're 36-43, and 43, fourth place in the NL East, 16 and a half games behind the Braves. And owner Steve Cohen today, while speaking to the media, says changes will be made if things don't get turned around soon. I'm preparing my um, management team for all possibilities. Um, you know, if we don't get better, you know, we have decisions to make at the trade deadline. And um, that's not my preferred um, end result. Um, but, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm preparing all contingencies. And uh, we'll see where it goes. It's on the players, right? I mean, they're veterans. They've been there before. Um, you know, I think they're, you know, these, these are you know, players that have done it. And we'll see if they can get their act together and, and string together some wins. Uh, I, you know, I can't pitch and I can't hit, okay? So well, that's the way it goes. And, um, you know, we're, we're hoping for the best. Mike, there's a lot of hope whenever Cohen bought the Mets, but things just haven't panned out so far. What's wrong with them? They cursed? Like, they're going to have to clean house again? Listen, I, I came out of that. His, I watched his press conference earlier, and the way he talked really sounded – he sounded so excited about them potentially turning things around. A, a, a team that is, you know, 16 and a half games out of first place. They're sitting eight and a half games out of uh, the wild, one of the wild card spots. Baseball is a long season. Anything can happen. But when you boast a payroll of $360 million, you're not supposed to be having your owner hold a press conference midway through the season. So the sink, the ship is sinking out there with the other team in New York, not named Yankees. Holy scapegoat in those comments. Um, he didn't once mention Buck Showalter and the embarrassment what that was their Sunday loss, by far their worst of the season in that atrocious decision-making that was indefensible in the eighth inning, leaving one of your best relievers, one of the arms that you spent a ton of money on in the bullpen to never see the light of day. And then, of course, Billy Epler, he constructed this roster with these albatross contracts, a team that has a $340-plus million payroll. But it's all on the players, right? Like, it's all their fault, and all the decisions that are made have something to do with them. No, I don't buy that at all. Sound way off. On this one, I think that Steve Cohen is feeling the pressure of the comments that he made a couple weeks ago when things were looking a little bleak, said, I'm not going to blow it up. He might be looking for towards next year. I don't think anything happens this year, but I do think because, I mean, of all the general managers they went through in 2021, he wants some stability. But if this is a team, guys, that finishes with 70 to 75 wins, he's probably looking for a new manager and general manager next year. And also, probably trying to move some of those expensive contracts at the deadline. We know that Max Scherzer did say that he would be willing to waive his no-trade clause for the quote-right situation. His contract makes that kind of difficult. Again, Albatross, $43.3 million, quite expensive for the ace of the New York Mets. Joe and Amber, Courtney Cronin, Mike Wells, we are presented by Progressive Insurance. Coming up next, it's time to rank some stuff. Mike will give you his list of the top five fan bases in the NFL. That's coming up next here on ESPN Radio. Joe and Amber, the podcast. Seventy days away from the start 
of the NFL season. Chiefs and Lions kicking things off on Thursday night football to open the 2023 campaign. That is coming so, so, so fast. We're going to be in training camp in a month from now and then gearing up towards the start of another 17-game season. I'm excited. It's going to be fun, but it just comes quickly. Of course, here on Joe and Amber and ESPN Radio, Courtney Cronin, Mike Wells, we're going to tell you all that you need to know to get ready for the 2023 season as part of our ESPN Radio Rankem Series. From the top five NFL quarterbacks. Prescott has had a fantastic... Windows my whole career. You want to win the Super Bowl. To the top five NFL fan bases. We're ranking the top of everything in the NFL. This is ESPN Radio's Rank Them, the top five fan bases. Number five. So we've done these the last couple days. We did receivers on Monday, running backs yesterday. Today, it's the fan bases. Mike, the floor is yours. I'm going to make some teams upset, some fan bases upset. I'm going to go with number five. That team down there in the Big Easy, I love the fan base from the New Orleans Saints with that who that, who that. You and I have both covered games down in New Orleans, and it doesn't matter if the Saints are 14-2 and two or 14-3 and three or 2-14. and 14. Their fan base is unbelievable. The excitement, you can't hear yourself inside the Superdome. And number four, if you're willing to sit outside with no shirt on when it's negative 25 degrees to see – Aaron Rodgers and Brett Favre playing Green Bay when they were there and be known as the Cheeseheads, you got to have a great fan base. And I'm going with the Green Bay Packers at number four. I love them. Um, Number three. Number three. You're going to relocate from the Bay Area to Las Vegas. And it doesn't matter where they're at. The red, excuse me, the black and silver, their excitement is always there. I love the Raiders fan base, I know at times they can be a little crazy, get into what other fan bases, but um, the silver and black, they travel very well. So at number three, I have the Las Vegas Raiders. Number two. Whoo, I'll never forget going on a plane from connecting flight from Atlanta to Pittsburgh. And the number of Pittsburgh Steelers fans, the the yellow and black towels waving around in Heinz Stadium. Um, when you have Mike Tomlin as your head coach, you've only had three head coaches in your history of your franchise. Tomlin would have never with the losing record. The Steelers with Franco Harris, Ter- um, Terry Bradshaw on down the line to you know Ben Roethlisberger and everything. They are always supporting the Steelers no matter what happens in this situation. So the Pittsburgh Steelers at number two. Number one. I'm sorry, James Steele. You're going to be mad at me. I know you are a diehard Kansas City Chiefs fan, but that Bills Mafia is unbelievable. I'll never forget covering a game in 2017, the snowball, the snow bowl between the Bills and the Indianapolis Colts. You couldn't even see the field. Everybody was out there doing snow angels and everything. I just think the Bills Mafia. They've been through so much from the Jim Kelly era um, all the way to what they're doing now with Josh Allen and, and company. I just love the passion and what they have in up, up, or Upper New York and what the Buffalo Bills have. And, James, don't get mad at me that I don't have your Kansas City Chiefs there. I got them at number six. It was a toss-up between the Saints and the Chiefs, but I left the, I left the Chiefs out in the situation. You stink. <laughs> all right. <laughs> 
There you go. Mike's list from five to four. Again, Saints at number five, Packers four, Raiders three, Steelers two, and the Buffalo Bills and Bills Mafia at number one. This is our ESPN Radio Rank'em Series, top five fan bases. Did he get it right? Did he get it wrong? Triple eight, say ESPN, 888-729-3776. We already know how some people in our production room right now feel about all of that. On Joe and Amber, we're going to be going through this. I'm going to give you mine in a little bit. But, Mike, I, I really can't poke holes in in your top five fan bases. And this one's always going to be way more subjective than naming the top five running backs, t- top five wide receivers, because there's no stats to go off of here. There's no moments that you can say, oh, like last night, for example, we did the top five running backs, and – I put a couple that most people would probably have in their top 10 into my top five, like Austin Eckler and Aaron Jones. I had five and four, and I think Mm. you can argue to have them out of those two spots and have, you know, a Saquon Barkley or a Josh Jacobs in those two spots, but I went with those two. I can't – if I was taking anybody off of your list, I think it would kind of be unfair because every fan base brings their own flair, and you named some really rowdy fan bases here. I mean, the Saints and Houdat Nation and, of course, the Raiders and the Black Hole. That thing traveled to Las Vegas. It's a feisty time in there. I used to cover the Raiders when they were in Oakland back in 2016 and 17. That is a group that is unmatched. I don't know a fan base that's like that. Yeah, hey, sorry, James, but yeah, hey, listen, I love your Chiefs, but I mean that's that's a, I I had a tough time going with five, but yep, I I just love the passion behind those those teams in that top five. All right, we're gonna get back to this here in a little bit. Sorry about that, James. Straight ahead, do the Seventy Sixers have a James Harden problem? That's coming up next. Joe and Amber, ESPN Radio. Joe and Amber, the podcast. Robert Half Research indicates nine out of ten hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. 